Hello and welcome back to the ASAP Weekly Pokemon Podcast, your show for, uh, you know, what I think is the nice about our show is that I feel like the topics that we discuss, the things that we discuss, it's not, it's not like a weekly thing, okay? I want, I want to create a show where, where if you go back and listen to it in five years, it, it doesn't feel outdated, you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. You know, um, and s- <laughs> we're we're not tied to the news to the anchor that is the latest Pokemon news, which like we may get into sometimes, but um, I think I think our format is nice because I don't think yeah my other shows definitely don't do this. <laughs> the other shows in our in our you know quote unquote network don't do this. So um, I do like this fact. I do like that we can get into different things. And today, actually, what we'll be getting into is something a little bit different, um, as probably those who have read the title can see. We're not doing the part two quite yet, and that's just because we wanted to make sure we had Tristan on. I know he had a lot to say about the mechanics of the Pokemon uh, Black and White uh, 2, or well, 1 and 2, right, about both the games, about the mechanics yeah. of those games. So um, I, th- you know, I think it's great that you suggested this, Matt. I thought it'd be best that we leave that until all of us are here for one show. Um, and Instead, we're going to go over some some kind of, you know, general Pokemon, you know, whether it's game mechanics, whether it's um, what can people do next in the series. This kind of discussion, which, as I was saying earlier, I think will probably still be relevant in five to ten years <laughs> as people go back <laughs> and look at the games where they are and where they were. You know, someone starts a Pokemon podcast uh, ten years down the line going over the various different games through the history and their thoughts on them. Wait, what are you saying? You're saying uh, I'm just I'm making uh, reference to like history repeating, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I it's it's it repeats itself, but not not always in the way you expect. Um, I think I think I think that line's always always fun to me as someone who who was obviously a history major. Uh, so because um, it's it's like yes, but. <laughs> when people say that expression right history repeats itself i'm like it's it's not quite the same yeah well speaking um, of things being not quite the same but oh, more you're gonna rhyming, put me on track here <laughs> yeah you know um i think I like our, our first topic of the day was you know what what does pokemon do in each of its entries that really like makes it special what made it pokemon what made it this worldwide phenomenon yeah, that was a big thing I want I want to discuss today for sure. And it's it's like I it's I'm gonna start with this maybe. Okay, we can bounce off this, right? But I think it essentially introduced JRPGs to a global audience by not being a JRPG. You know? I think that's well, a like, very good point. Like I, I I it is a JRPG, but it's it's not a JRPG. <laughs> yeah, no, that kind of feeds into about like I I don't know, like five months ago or something like that. Um, I was thinking back about Pokemon, and I was just kind of had the revelation of like, yeah, Pokemon Pokemon is just a very standard JRPG, but it's not wrapped in the same like uh, stylings of a traditional JRPG because you're still a kid with a hometown who goes out on a journey and adventure. You face down with your rival who doesn't learn the main lesson until it's too late, and he rages um, as you defeat him at the pinnacle of the world. Uh, <laughs> you uh, le- you level up, uh, gain new abilities. They're, they grow in power over time. Uh, some abilities are more effective against some monsters than others. There's, you know, there's a whole elemental system. Like, these are all very much JRPG systems. Um, but it's not a JRPG in execution. Let, let me put it this way, okay? As someone who's kind of, like, I don't think I played a JRPG before this, right? Like, I, I imagine, if I, if I look into my history, yeah, I imagine. Probably the same for me. I mean, I was, like, five or six but i i think the one tough thing that i had with jrpgs is that like your first instinct is when you have so many different characters that are like people characters 
um, you you sometimes have a hard time latching on to them. Um, I, I, actually, like I don't think that's necessarily fair. Actually, but uh, okay, here let me put it this way: I feel like if Pokemon looked the same way as a lot of JRPGs look, right, um, and not kind of I. Which, which I guess the first game looks the most out of everything. Yeah. Because I, I don't even argue that as the games go on, it looks less and less like that, right? Yeah, no, definitely. Um, and I think the first game, right, while it has a lot more of the JRPG stylings, I think it's because it's so simple, like its simplicity is is actually what makes it very accessible to kids and what makes it more of a, you know, more possible to succeed. <laughs> Yeah, you know, this kind of ties into what I was going to bring to this conversation, which was, I think, the three main pillars of what makes Pokemon so special, what allowed it to just really kind of take over the world. Like, if you look at the the amount of money that Pokemon as a, like, media franchise brings in, it's terrifying. Um, <laughs> like, if you think the Avengers are big, they've got nothing on Pokemon. <laughs> Um, but the three main pillars I would say are probably accessibility. Um, mm. it's very open for kids to pick up and play and get really good at it. Um, interconnectivity. Uh, the games are like Pokemon Red version, Pokemon Blue version, are distinctly made to be incomplete in themselves. You have to trade with your friends to complete the Pokedex. I would argue that that could have been. It wasn't, but that could have been a detriment. That could have been, but because they were targeting children on <laughs> with a portable game console that you could fit in a backpack, it could spread like wildfire in playgrounds, which it did. <laughs> I yeah I think there's part of me that thinks that if like if you'd propose this for for like adults like, like if the focus was the adults like they might have looked at and been like wait you're gonna you're not gonna let me complete it I mean that's what you get now right like that's essentially the poke, uh, the national pokedex people screaming about that right oh yeah it's almost <laughs> it's almost like them getting rid of that is only something adults care about because i guarantee you if you're between the ages of five and like 11 you probably don't care no absolutely not um and i'd say the third pillar was uh customizability Mm. um so so we could choose like you can choose your party essentially you could choose your party you could name them the abilities you chose because you could only have four abilities so they're your four abilities that Doesn't you JRPG, chose. Doesn't usually have like a million? Like, isn't that yeah, usually... Yeah, like, you know, if you look at a Final Fantasy game, like, you learn abilities, but you don't unlearn old abilities. You just have like a... Yeah, and, and so like... So you have already, like a lexicon of... Already that makes me like... Like, not to say anything about the Final Fantasy franchise, but if I was six or seven, and like you just kept all the abilities that my pokemon had before every time i played like i think that would get annoying more than anything. yeah i mean I, I you know kids wouldn't have any idea what to do you keep it at four you it's a very simple choice um the games are again very simple when i was when i was first playing pokemon games i was not playing pokemon games ideally at all and i still managed to finish them exactly um, <laughs> So, you know, there's always a path for kids to progress through the game. And, you know, as they grow older, they can learn the systems. As we've gone through these mechanical sections before, you know, there's a lot of underlying stuff that kids do not engage with, but is endlessly fascinating to older older kids and adults. And I think that's a, that's a great point. I think that really adds to... Uh... Just speaking about like its success, right? Is that it, it's definitely grown up with everyone. Um, but I'd even argue that going back to the earlier games rewards players. Like I'm just imagining someone who's like 15 now and maybe played some of the newer games. 
um, and and the, if they have the ability to go back to some of their older games, they might actually be rewarded more because, you know, as they get older, those games become more fascinating, right? Because they're 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 it's the the wonkiness <laughs> and the lack of like um, what's it called uh, quality of life changes that happens uh, throughout the different games. Uh, I feel like you might even like see as a challenge, right? Yeah, be like, oh, this is like. Well, I won. I, I'd have to talk, obviously, to maybe someone who's a little younger. No, but uh, I mean, like, you can dig into... There's a reason why there's this um, endless, m- massive, competitive scene for Pokemon, because, you know, they have uh, EVs and IVs, and um, you can Jolteons. have you can mix and match <laughs> Pokemon abilities, create different teams, you got weather effects, there's so much complexity that is... In- entirely unnecessary mm-hmm. like if you just drag a competitive team into um a standard pokemon adventure you will stomp everything in front of you <laughs> like there is no chance that anything can go up against a modern competitive pokemon team with max evs and ivs but you don't need I w- that i feel like uh to that point like I I think like uh, here's a question I guess that I have from this. When you play some of these newer games, do you kind of research anything beforehand? Uh I tend to look at the starter evolutions. Mm, just to just to know what they what they'll look like later. Yeah, I, I always tend to pick my starter based on the final evolution. It's um, a bit of okay, a conflict. Well, that, that's with, fair. Yeah, it's a bit of a conflict for me because Sometimes, uh, you know, I always like to look at them because it allows me to pick the one that most appeals to me. But, you know, I also miss the times like I did not know what Torchic was going to evolve into. I just chose Torchic because I thought it was neat. And I love Blaziken as a design. And I can't capture that feeling (laughs) of... uh, Excitement of... No, but I feel like like that's fair because I was thinking about this, right? When I... I think the success of Pokemon is that you can literally go in blind and still enjoy your time. And I think now that you've played a whole bunch of games, there are certain things that you like will watch out for, right? Yeah. I watch, I watch out for that's one of them. You probably are like, okay, I'd like to know what the final evolution is. So later in the game, I may have it, but if you didn't know that it's still totally fine. The second thing I do, I mean, which is, has become less relevant in the newer games, um, but is like, what to use your master ball on, right? That might be something that I'll kind of look up. Um, except for that, I really, I really go into most games blind, and I think maybe that's the success as well. Is you can kind of choose how you want to play it, um, and it's evolved so much. Uh, kind of speaking to its success, if I can maybe mention this. Uh, so, uh, with the grade seven class that I've been teaching, right? They all still Pokemon is still super, super popular. So, I don't think it's going. Uh, if twelve year olds are playing it, I don't think it's going anywhere. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. Um, and yeah, these different pillars can kind of interact. Like a big one is, you know, kids battling their Pokemon teams, which, you know, they made, they are theirs. Nobody has a Pokemon team like theirs Mm. against their friends or, you know, your friend catches a really cool Pokemon and trades it to you. And this, the, the whole Pokemon system really gets around, um, a problem a lot of JRPGs run into where uh, you start off and you get this core of four characters because they always build up the four characters very quickly in most JRPGs. But then as you play the game more, additional characters keep coming in and joining the party. Mm. And you're like, well, I mean, I'm just kind of used to playing with these four. Um, I don't really want to level up the other ones. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I'm invested in their story. But, like, with Pokemon, the entire, like, conceit of the game is collecting Pokemon. So, Mm. you see a cool Pokemon, you don't feel this urge of, like, oh, well, I mean, do I really want to have this guy? No, you go and you catch him because that's the point of the game. I think that's a great point. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know with evolution it in, it incentivizes you to use these pokemon because you're like well i mean i want to get the next pokemon pokedex entry 
And uh, in order to get that, I need to level this Pokemon up to level 40. Wow. Okay. I guess I'm going to need to fight with him a lot. And then you play with him and you're like, man, I actually really like this guy. You slot him into your team. Yeah, no, totally. I totally. Yeah, that's a that's a great point that uh, it incentivizes all the Pokemon to matter. And even if you don't care about it, right. It incentivizes you to at least care about it enough to catch it and then not forget about it. <laughs> yep. And again, because these games are very accessible, even if Pokemon are terrible, like just stat wise or how, as long or as how they the look mechanics cool. <laughs> work, if someone thinks a Pokemon looks cool, they can bring it to the Elite Four and win. <laughs> yes, they can. Um, it might be more difficult you. to them, <laughs> but you know, I was able to beat the Elite Four with a with only leveling up for Alligator who knew Cut. I can like the more you tell that story, the more I respect it. I'm gonna be yeah, honest. <laughs> you know, like again, fifty power Cut, <laughs> <laughs> not a type advantage. You know, no no stab, just just sheer overwhelming levels <laughs> oh completely agreed completely agreed okay uh let's is there any any last kind of thoughts we have maybe on the secrets to pokemon success um yeah, i'll um, go with you any any last other things that, that maybe yeah. we haven't mentioned yet i think i think it was also very important when it came out mm-hmm. because you know as i highlighted before you could have it on this portable game console that you could bring to school and fit in a backpack and i think that there's this important like point of time when you could get a game console for like 80 dollars so like expensive for the time especially with inflation always worth remembering that from our childhood (laughs) things are not 80 dollars 20 years ago are not is not 80 dollars today (laughs) But still, like, a relatively cheap piece of uh, electronic hardware that you would be all right with bringing, uh, with a kid bringing to school without competing with phones and able to play this game and show it to their friends. I, yeah, I think, I think that's a great point because the technology was at the perfect, it was a perfect point where for kids, specifically kids' toys, it was cutting edge, right? Yeah. Um. And it it wasn't a technology. Like I think a lot of you know even now, right? Like a lot of parents kind of uh, have to talk about like cell phones and letting their kids have cell phones, right? But especially at like the time when it came out, it's like okay, well, this is like a self-contained game console, right? Yeah. You know, there's like, no broader about... ethical considerations yeah, yeah. for a Game Boy. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Maybe maybe some of the games specifically, but oh yeah. Uh, uh, but like we you know, as a parent. <laughs> As a parent of a child without any disposable income, I think at that <laughs> point in time, you were the main arbiter of what got played on a Game Boy. <laughs> of course, of course. And the, the, the cut animation is, is too brutal. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, and there was also also the very important thing of like the Internet hadn't gotten to the point where you could. Tri- I think I think if Pokemon had come out when you could trade Pokemon online, it would not have become the phenomenon it did. I actually agree. I completely agree with that point. Because uh, I feel like, I feel like that's so underrated, but like the online experience is so devoid of like interaction interaction. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you had to go, you had to go to school and you had a, you had a limited pool of people that you could like trade with. And if you were the kid with a link cable, like you got a huge popularity boost. Speaking as the kid with the link cable, link cable. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, you know, you had to go and you had to stand off to the side and you know set set up this whole rig and you know people would come over. Kids would kids are curious. They'll come over and see you know what's up and they'll see the game you can't you can't pay for that kind of exposure these days like no, i completely agree yeah you you essentially force kids um <laughs> entirely willingly and to their entire benefit 
to advertise their game to their friends. And not I, like, to, I, to even not their friends, like to anyone at school, you cannot ignore people trading because they are going to talk about it incessantly because they have to convince the one person who has <laughs> the Pokemon. And yet you're like, what's this fuss about? And you see the game and you're like, oh, that's really cool. Oh, I love that design. And, you know, again, there's 150 Pokemon in the original game. There's a design for everyone. Hmm. So, no, I I completely agree. I even go further with that point uh, that I think if you want to compare like modern trends, right? Um, which, as I said in the beginning of the show, will will date us in ten years. But uh, <laughs> uh, no, you know, how Fortnite became super super popular, right? Because it was literally yep. the thing that all the all the twelve year olds talked to each other, or ten year olds, or, or younger talked to each other and played. Well, it's the same idea, except imagine Fortnite becoming as popular as it became without competition, yeah. right? Without exactly. other big things that can take or distract you, or big trends that appeared, right? For like at least five years, so we say, right? I mean, although, like, I think, I think at a certain point, like, once you, I feel like once you kind of. I mean, for me, I, I keep I look at like, for me, uh, Gen Gen four, five, five, six are kind of dark ages. Like I kind of didn't disappeared, but I think that has to do more with my life as opposed to it. Pokemon had already established its audience. Oh right? yeah, you know we we had a whole episode where I you know yelled at Pokemon Sword <laughs> and Shield for an hour, and those Pokemon games sold better than any Pokemon game in history. And it's only because it's built upon those other games, right? Let let yeah. me be clear, okay? If Pokemon Sword and Shield was the first entry into the franchise, well, one, it wouldn't look the way it did because it, once again, is trying to iterate over <laughs> over things. Um, but two, it's it doesn't have that established niche. So I think that success is entirely based off of every other game. And I'm going to be honest, I, I would predict that the next game, even with all the people being mad at Sword and Shield, is probably still going to do just as good, right? Oh, definitely, if not better. If not better. Especially if they throw in a couple like token, you know, we did this for the community kind of thing. Uh okay. I think we that's good. I think we can actually move on to our next topic for today. All right. And the next topic is my this is the thing I hate the most. Okay, okay. This is the thing I hate the most, probably in the games. Okay. Sometimes. But with it gone, I kind of miss it. I don't know if that makes sense. No, I absolutely understand, but we'll I'll let you (laughs) introduce the topic yes we're talking about caves and pokemon okay so essentially dungeons right they're like mini dungeons you have to get through they're caves um sometimes you need uh, a flashlight you need, you need a pokemon that needs flash to see things i i actually passed most of the caves without the flashlight I just yeah no that's mind. that's that's what i did too i was very stubborn um, but they were more annoying than fun uh however i think like it's like for me in general, it's like I don't think they're a thing that I enjoy doing, but I think the part of it that I would is redeemable about like these caves or these like kind of puzzles or these things is they tend to hide a lot of secrets, right? Um, and well, what do you want to say? I'm actually yeah. going to take a separate view. We have a Ooh. similar thing here where I didn't like caves growing up. But with their absence, I've kind of understood why they exist and why I actually now really like them as a concept and as an execution, to be honest. Explain. Caves are the equivalent of a JRPG JRPG dungeon. You, Unlike in the overworld where you can limit your exposure to grass to avoid encounters you cannot avoid account encounters in caves caves also tend to be very full of trainers that you cannot avoid mm. i don't think it's an accident that victory road is almost always a cave um they are intended to be and often are more of like an endurance test yeah. And thinking back on my memories of Pokemon, there's always a sigh of relief when I get out of a cave and I get to the next area. I have conquered a challenge. 
I mean, that makes complete sense, right? Like, I, I think one thing that that we forget is, is ultimately, and like I think modern games go too far the other direction. Ultimately, challenges motivate us, right? Yeah. Difficult things you feel rewarded when you pass them, and if you take away too much of the challenge, you get to a point where it's too easy. Eventually, people are gonna get bored, right? Um, and I like I I think you know going back to the Sword and Shield episode that we talked about, I think my biggest problem is that at some point in the journey, I knew where it was going. There wasn't really any surprises, and there wasn't those challenges. Those yeah, there isn't any roadblocks on your journey in Sword and mm-hmm. Shield. There's never there's there's I can barely remember half of the routes, um, in uh, Sword and Shield. Uh, but I will always remember, uh, I can never remember the name of the mountain, but it's <laughs> the one in Diamond Pearl Mount Coronet. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I will always remember that because that is just a gigantic cave. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, caves are also where they put a lot more of their puzzles. Yeah, for sure. For um, sure. by like a significant degree. Like, I mean, it's almost always pushing block puzzles, and I would love to see them iterate and come up with new puzzles. But at the same time, it's where they put the majority of their puzzles, and I very much miss that aspect of caves of these challenges that you need to overcome. Like going through Mount Moon for the first time in the original games. Mm-hmm. it's a massive shift over what you're coming through before. And when you get to the other side and you reach uh cerulean city, Oh, it's just a huge <laughs> breath of fresh air. Just when you, st- and like, you know, I have opinions about flash. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes I like it. The problem I have with flash is that it's, you have to give it to a Pokemon and it's, pretty useless in combat it's not like surf which is like flamethrower for water pokemon um flash is just a status uh it's not a particularly good one um but you have to give it to a pokemon or else you can't see so naturally i didn't give it to any pokemon so i couldn't see Uh, (laughs) uh, because i am a smart pokemon player and uh I don't know. Decreasing accuracy sounds like a good plan. <laughs> <laughs> but even when you do bring Flash, um, the visibility is still not great. Um, you very rarely in like the big caves that need Flash and like our actual challenges. Uh, you can very rarely see all four corners of the screen in the later games. I think in like the first games with Flash, you know, it just kind of lit things up. Uh, but yes. it became a very deliberate design choice that like it only widened the circle so it gives this very claustrophobic uh feeling yeah, yeah like you can't you can't ever really see the full extent of the cave which i think really helped them feel larger than i think they really actually were mm-hmm. um because if you can see the full extent of something like um, I just recently bought a new place and the rooms are all empty. I have no sense of scale. Everything <laughs> looks much smaller than it is. But um, if you can't see the full extent of a place, it feels monolithic. Mm. And that's actually a great point. Yeah. So, you know, these are the kind of back and forth I have about Flash because. I think a lot of these caves would be ruined if you could see everything, but I think I think a better implementation is just give us the reduced circle size. Um, yeah, I th- I'd agree with that. I, I think one thing that I have to say when it comes to caves is that you look at them as kind of these hard, challenging things with a lot of puzzles, and I, I completely agree with that, but I think one other thing that I liked about caves is that it had a sense of exploration which I just no longer really find as yeah. much, right? Uh, with with some of the more modern games, of this kind of like, you know, 
oh, there's a random cave here that has nothing to do with the plot. Let me go explore it for half an hour or an hour, right? And let's see what we find. And it's like, oh, there's an Articuno, right? <laughs> like, I, or, I, um, I mean, yeah. this continued on into some of, into a lot of the later games too. Uh, it's just Sword and Shield that really kind of dropped this. Um, maybe X and Y. I can't remember too many caves from X and Y. Um, but uh you know you had uh giratina for uh gen four you had to like delve into this cave and solve yes. its secrets and you you finally overcome it and you come to face to face with a legendary pokemon that is not signposted at all uh i mean, I, mean I think that's even better it's such a it's complex like, zone i just like the idea of surprise Pokemon waiting for you at the end of rain. Like I, I oh, think I, I absolutely agree. I think if, if there was a cave and like you solve it and you get to like, I don't know, 50 rare candies. That's not the same. <laughs> that's not the same reward for me. Like I, I like there being this like mystery Pokemon at the end of them. I think that's yeah. another thing that I like about them. Um, yeah, no, they put in a lot of, and like, uh, I always, you know, I'm going to bring up Mount Coronet again, because I love Mount Coronet. It has so many different paths through it. It Exactly, yeah. And uh, you only really find the, the path that leads up to Spear Pillar at the end. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, it really show well, mostly because, like, it locks itself off cleverly behind uh, different HM moves that really mm. like control the flow of how a player can move through the area. Um, but yeah, no. And especially with, uh, flash caves, they'll, uh, they'll hide a lot of, they'll hide a lot of items. Oh yeah. Yeah. For sure. For sure. Uh, so, you know, let me put it this way. Okay. Let's, let's, let's maybe end the discussion of caves with this, this little tidbit. How do you think we could, implement caves in like a modern concept to make them interesting as opposed to just scenery that i'm going through which is this, it is a sort that, of shield. that's actually a that's actually an interesting question especially with uh uh sword and shields changed perspective because mm-hmm. even x and y while they were the while they broke the grid they were still very much uh isometric in nature yes uh, Sword and Shield is very much a third-person camera, uh, which raises a problem with, you know, my favorite thing, as I mentioned, was, uh, you know, the fact that they were able to get that very claustrophobic uh, feeling with limiting your vision. How do you do that with a third-person camera effectively? You know, it just... It's just Pokemon Snap with flashlight, <laughs> with a flashlight on your on your forehead. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like all I can think about is like you know, you have like a torch or something that gives you like a little like uh, zone of light around you, but you can't see anything past that. I they they kind of did that in like the mushroom area. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, they did a bit of but, that. Yeah, but it's it's there's a difference between atmosphere creation and annoyance right well Um, i I think the mushroom area would have been a really good example if they had you know done that for more than i think it was only one screen mm, like i think it's just the mushroom area and yeah it wasn't really complex i'm gonna be honest i mean that's that's a broader problem with sword and shields it like does a thing and then it ends immediately afterwards (laughs) (laughs) Um, there's no like you you don't you don't spend an hour and a half in the mushroom area. You spend twenty minutes. <laughs> well, that's actually so interesting because I think, um, okay, maybe maybe we can kind of segue this a little bit into our last discussion because I actually think that's a great point you brought up. Um, is that like when when we're thinking about Pokemon design and like we can stick with caves for a second, but um. I think it's weird because if you're doing the same thing in little spurts, then it kind of becomes repetitive. But if you have this one thing that you're only doing at one part of the game, that's very difficult. You'll kind of enjoy it for its sake. Right. Right. I kind of feel like that's what we're getting at. a little. Like it, I wouldn't want there to be caves on every single part of the map. Like, don't get me wrong. Oh, yeah, right? yeah. But no, if they, you they have need to this, be the special moments, mm-hmm. but if you have this one section, right. 
you maybe have like a little cave somewhere, but then like one section where there's truly difficult things going on, right? There's there's some puzzles, there's some other things, there's maybe like that atmosphere, and that's just one section of the game. I think that actually works really well from a design perspective because it's like, oh, it's a difficult thing, but I'm not, you know, it's not just like oh, needless chore. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it's that's Vic, that's what Victor wrote essentially is. Exactly, exactly. There haven't really. Has there really been? I don't think there has been a victory for a while now. Right? No, Sun and Moon. I think well, Sun, Sun and Moon is, is. I actually, I actually really appreciate a lot of the stuff that they did. In yeah, Sun you know, Moon. I'm not gonna harp. I'm not gonna harp against Sun and Moon. I actually quite like those games. But it's because they went completely outside the box on some ideas. Yeah, Sun and Moon gets a pass because there's a reason there isn't a victory road. We'll get into that in its own episode. Uh, Sword and Shield does not have victory road <laughs> it has a road that you take to the main city it is not <laughs> yeah. the road of victory it is you i i think you i think you take like a you you take like a train up and then you just walk down the road and you're there mm. it's not entirely yes. clear why you don't take the train why the train doesn't connect to the big city but you know um Okay, well, this I think this actually brings us to our last topic, right? Our last topic for for our episode here that we're doing is have we run out of design space for Pokemon? Essentially, right? Is is there more clever things? Because we we've harped on a little bit about this kind of like, oh, there's every Pokemon game is just the same game except they're gonna slap a gimmick, right? Oh, now they're really big. Now they have a really special move. That's kind of that's kind of the approach that we like. We laugh, right? Um, but I I think, you know, speaking of Sun and Moon is I think the reason Sun and Moon at first I was, you know, when I started playing the game, I was kind of like hesitant because it was so different. But then I think I now that I'm looking back on it, I really appreciate how they tried to expand that design space. Right. Yeah. But I almost have I, a I, feeling. I watch hmm. what I say here because I want there's a lot of good material here for when we have a sun and moon uh yeah i don't want to stick to sun and moon specifically but but (laughs) what i think what i think you're kind of hitting here is that sun and moon introduced a lot of new things but they were evolutions of uh previous things Mm -hmm. uh evolutions and refinements they're they're very much new and different and i like a lot of the stuff that came with them there's a couple of things that I uh, that they took out that I feel like should have been in there as well, but um, I'm still very pleased with the overall package, and they executed on their ideas pretty well. Um, but and the, I guess I guess to jump off of that, right? Like going from Sun and Moon to essentially the next game in the series is Sword and Shield, right? Yeah. Uh, and and you look at Sword and Shield, and you're like, did they just run out of design space? Right? Or were they so focused on the technical aspect of the, the game that they didn't even consider that part of it? Right? Because I just, it, it does feel like sometimes, right? Especially when you get a game like Sword and Shield, where it's like, yeah, we, there is no more we can do with this, this kind of pigeonhole we have, right? On the format of a game. And I, I, I guess my question to you is, is do you truly think that's the case, right? Like, is there a way to approach pokemon that's going to still keep all those fans but still be super new right still be super different from what's been done before um yes but i'm not sure if that's the path they're taking or not Hmm, interesting um when you look at uh sun and moon into uh sword and shield uh there's a very big difference in perspective as as i touched on before you go from this isometric view to a much more uh you operate the camera perspective and the problem with going into that and this actually kind of segues into stuff we've been talking about this whole time it becomes much more of a standard jrpg when you give control of the camera to the player now it's not all in player control as mostly in the wild areas which is what a lot of people talk about but sword and shield kind of sits in this awkward spot of like trying to like 
really cling to where they were comfortable and also dipping their feet into the wild area and uh, a very new space for Pokemon. And it doesn't really commit to either. And that's so, where Arce- Ar- uh, Ar- Arceus is, is being released. <laughs> that, that's, that's where Arceus is coming from, yeah. Um, we don't know nearly enough about the game to about that game to really say yeah, if they executed on it well. But uh, that is a problem that Sword and Shield... Sword and Shield didn't run out of design space. They ran out of resources trying to make two different design philosophies. And I think I think you're completely right that in Sword and Shield, it feels like there's a million things they're trying to do and they just don't have the time to do. They have that two-year window, right? Where they yeah. have to make it, I'm pretty sure. You know, um, you step into the wild area and the game changes to this different game, but it only exists in the wild area. And, and I... is You know what's weird? Like... I almost feel like we would have gotten a better game in that one without a wild area at all. I would agree. And it's just, so speaking, I guess, because I want to keep it kind of on this topic of design space, the wild area itself is an attempt to expand the design space of the game. But the difference is that you're so focused in the wild area on the fact that you can control the camera. Um, but having like a random essentially like essentially it's the safari zone of yeah. sword and shield right like if you want to kind of look at that way right um and i think i think for me the wild area i associate way more with the kind of technical side of the game as opposed to actually expanding possible things we can do right it has it's much more of like oh this is just a natural evolution because we have the switch now we're going to try to implement this right as opposed to necessarily like okay let's sit down let's think about within our game is there stuff that we can completely change that people are going to like a lot and i just i'm very worried after sword and shield that they're at a point now where they actually can't change it anymore right that that's Mm. that's what continues to worry me um maybe not worry me that much okay i'm not losing sleep over it but it worries me in the sense that they did so well with this kind of game they're probably just gonna continue it's gonna become fifa right and i don't want it to become fifa (laughs) (laughs) um yeah so i feel like the yeah just i feel like the problem with the wild area and why i agree with you that if we had not gotten it we probably would have gotten a better game is it doesn't tie into anything else with the game (laughs) nobody at any point says i am the villain my goal is to pave over the wild area and set up (laughs) factories and yo i actually really like that with the with the whole like city that is industrializing as well in the that's brilliant that's brilliant but there's there's no interaction nobody says quick we have to go to the wild area to get the mystical sword of endings from uh the hidden sunken temple i love um, everything about this just like <laughs> just like a, a sociopolitical commentary on like cities expanding and having to create nature reserve like <laughs> yeah no you could have that if you made the entire game the wild area and flesh oh, that see, out and refine you, that. And oh, as you progress to the game, cities are, are are evolving to like other things, and that's what you're trying to. It, anyway, sorry. This you is know, tying back into and again, this ties back into what we were discussing before. If you made Pokemon into an actual JRPG, because like if you look at games like you know Dragon Dragon Quest Eleven, for example. They have big, wide-open areas with roving monsters. Um, if you, if you, and you, and you have towns, and you have cities, and you go to them, you experience plot, and things move along. If you made Pokemon into an actual straight-up JRPG, you could have an interesting experiment of a game. It just I what I fear. And this is actually so interesting for me to think because I'm like I'm thinking about 
opening up the, right, the possibilities of Pokemon, right? And you're you're kind of saying, like my my fear with that kind of approach is that it just starts to become like those games too much. That's why right? I say that, that's why I categorize this as an experiment of game because no, of course. Of course. the traditional Pokemon experience does not work with uh, a standard JRPG, standard modern JRPG experience. Mm. Um, and because there's a lot of stuff like you know caves and vision and uh block pushing puzzles that just do not work in that uh uh camera framing because how it's very important in video game design of how your audience looks at stuff mm. uh because if you can control if the developer has full control of the camera they can point it at whatever they want they can show the audience whatever they want at any time the audience is always looking at what the developer wants if the player has control of the camera they can look at whatever they want to look at and the developer seeds a lot of control it's kind of it becomes more like an open world experience right yes which I like if and then once again like I, this is actually really interesting once again I'm like I feel like there's so many open world games that going into that space isn't actually gonna yeah if, if, if you have a top down if you have an isometric perspective and you're moving around an environment and um and exploring an environment you the developers have full control to make sure you don't see the walls of the world mm-hmm. if you are in control of the camera you can always see the walls of the world okay for sure because you know from an isometric perspective you know you can move around we're getting a bit uh meta yeah okay here, but... with with all this <laughs> with all this let, let me let me put it to a question that we can actually use Let's let's go away from expanding it that way, right? Let's go away from expanding it into more of an open world type yeah. game, right? Within our traditional kind of isometric look at the world, have they done everything? Because I feel like they've essentially have, right? I would disagree. Okay. What are some things that you feel they could try? So they experimented a lot with sun and moon and i feel like some of the stuff that they this is going to touch a little bit on what we're going to discuss in sun and moon that's okay uh, we can we can retread it i mean this yeah. is supposed to be an episode that covers everything so but uh with sun and moon uh you they got rid of gym leaders and they uh brought in the island challenges which for a, for a lot of reasons are really interesting like maybe not all the challenges are terribly like difficult to like the <laughs> actual like puzzles you do to progress to the next fight but the idea of having a boss pokemon monster that you don't catch but you have to defeat that's very interesting well, it was great cuz it's it's still like okay instead of the eight gym leaders we have these four challenges right we have these four islands uh, I think I'm correct on that, but but it it still has like some semblance of that setup. But it's like no, this is something different, right? Yeah. Like, what I would have yeah. loved to see is an evolution on that. Okay. Bring back in some of the elements of the gyms because what I felt was missing from the island challenges was the challenges you had to just you fought like three unevolved Pokemon and then the evolved um, big version. Yeah, uh, of the Pokemon that was that basically describes all of them. Mm. I would have brought in some additional trainers that you have to fight as you're like moving your way through trying to complete the challenges. Add a bit more complexity to the challenges. Again, these have to be accessible to children, so you know nothing Mensa uh, <laughs> difficult. But like you know, you you can add a bit more complexity back in. Because like a lot of gym, a lot of the best gyms in Pokemon are themselves like big environmental puzzles. 
Uh, mm. So bring in a couple more of those elements so that, like, you know, you're fetching ingredients for a stew, but you've got to, like, uh, figure out a you've got to figure out a path as you're like swinging along vines or something. I don't know. Uh, just ideas I'm throwing out here. Um, and mix up the Pokemon that you fight at the, each stage of the, uh, trial, then, you know, throw out the big one at the end. Um, you could, they tried a little bit of this, but, um, I'm just going to use islands as an example. This this okay. theoretical Pokemon game doesn't have to be on islands, but for each island, uh, have it be so that you can go into any of the trials in any order you want. Mm. You know, we're dealing with very much more advanced hardware these days. All Pokemon, all all that changes within Pokemon is uh, what the trainer has in their pockets. So you can dynamically alter difficulty. So you can avoid the trap of like, if you have four options, the first one's the hardest, the fourth one's the easiest. Mm. Um, in this in this case, you beat the first one, the other three uh, upgrade themselves. You know, the trainers in the areas get more uh, Pokemon that are higher level. Um, and that can be know. standardized across. So like whenever you beat one, everything bumps a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, just the not not to make things difficult, but to keep things from getting easy. Um, but yeah, you know, that that really gets out of the whole very structured. Oh well, you got to go get the next gym badge. Uh, okay, system. Okay. But uh, I will actually okay. Th- finish your thought on on kind of some of the things because I I have an idea and I want I want to get your take on it. Yeah, and you know they also uh, expanded on the story in uh sun and moon a lot more it is a much it is a much more in-depth plot um probably the more most in-depth you actually can't predict what's gonna happen (laughs) yeah this is black and white like it has a twist in a pokemon game (laughs) um and uh i'd really like to see them expand on that a bit a lot more um something i've had a problem with it, it it pops up a lot more in nintendo games is that they have a big habit of using text boxes mm. the problem with text ah. boxes is a text box turns a conversation into a um it it, it frames the conversation in, in like uh tableau that's the word i was looking for mm-hmm. uh because everything freezes for a person to say their line you advance the next line everything moves and then freezes for the next line yeah yeah you know experiment with voice acting <laughs> like i agree i we, agree we Definitely live in a world <laughs> with a vibrant voice acting community um the professional voice acting community is nothing like Even it better. was in the 90s <laughs> Even better, give me give me Japanese voice actors and I'll read the subtitles. <laughs> oh yeah, you know. That that's just a standard thing these days. Um, but you know, add that in and you can have more dynamic scenes. You can have Pokemon like you know, as a villain's chasing a person, you know, they can send out a Pokemon, that Pokemon can like do an action as the character reacts to it. Um there could be scenes where you're like running after someone as they're trying to escape and like you're dodging Pokemon fire. Like, I, yeah, I, like I you could that. add a lot more dynamism into uh, the very static shell that is Pokemon. Um, I really like some of these ideas you came up with. This is great. This is great. And, mm-hmm. Pokemon, again, I touched on this earlier. Pokemon is phenomenally financially successful. <laughs> they have the budget to do to do all this amazing things i'm just yeah just take that pokemon movie uh but yeah <laughs> you had your ideas okay okay so in terms of specifically game design right and this doesn't necessarily even have to do the story but what i'm going to mention is definitely heavily tied into story um every single pokemon game starts off with you're in some small town right and you have to choose from three Pokemon. Yep. I think r- right away 
that is an area where you could expand the design space. How does the game start? Now I'm going to give an idea here, but what I want to say with this idea is this idea is an example, right? This is by no means the definitive idea, but this is an example of how much you can expand this part of the game, right? How you even start the game can very much be played with, I think, that formula. So let me put this idea forward, right? I think I would love, personally, a Pokemon game where you are a gym leader. And the setup is your journey is to go around, right? And maybe you have... You know, maybe you're, I don't know, you have to find Pokemon of the type of gym leader that you are and capture them. And then there are challengers once you've like captured all of them. And then maybe you can go to be like the next gym leader in line. That is maybe a simple, you know, I don't know if necessarily this would work in a game, but I think that's a simple way of kind of twisting a little bit of the tired formula on its head in the sense of, no, instead of being the person who's trying to beat all those gym leaders, you have to assemble that group of Pokemon and train them. And you have a challenger approaching, right? Uh, you you have to you have to actually beat down the kid that's trying to take out all the gym leaders. No, or that's something. That, that's quite interesting. Um, you could you could even have mechanics of like uh, you staff your uh, Pokemon. Like it, it wouldn't be you're the, a, you're the commissioner of the gym leaders, and you you tell the gym leaders <laughs> to guess your Pokemon. The gym Season leaders have to mode. scout. <laughs> exactly, it's it's FIFA manager mode. <laughs> Uh, you 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 became the very thing you sought to destroy. No, the thing is, that's what I like the most about FIFA games. Is the manager uh, okay. goes. So, <laughs> um, There's a financial. <laughs> you can only pay. No, like, but I th- you know, gym like, leaders cost more money. <laughs> you know, like have it be like uh, almost like a Harvest Moon or Stardew Valley like experience where like you're handed this like bush league gym in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> exactly and, uh you you have to you journey around and like you make connections and you like battle pokemon trainers and you rec- and you can recruit them into your gym and you you win prize money in tournaments to fund your business dude <laughs> <laughs> yeah no that would be a fascinating pokemon game i mean it'd be a spin-off for sure because this is such a departure yeah i think i think we got a little too far but my, my point still stands that, that no, even the basic start of the game who you are who your character is i think they could do a lot with that and i think they haven't and because oh, i definitely don't, I don't think, um yeah i think it would also be interesting is if they could and this would probably also be in spinoff territory, but a Pokemon game where you're, um, a Pokemon game like the uh, Pokemon Coliseum games where mm-hmm, you're yes. not a blank slate. Listen, I'd even, sorry, continue on with your thought, but let me just put this: I'd even love uh, a Pokemon like adventure uh, training card game again. That'd be great. Anyway, yeah. back to your point. <laughs> but uh, a Pokemon game where your character, your main character, is you know a character like people <laughs> joke about the sun and moon protagonist uh or at least they did about how they just the most the only character development we got the only character interaction they ever did was jump on people's bed and sniff them <laughs> and like and i think in sword and shield the the joke was your character just psychotically smiles the entire <laughs> game <laughs> And does nothing else. <laughs> um, that's that's so, I I completely agree, but you know I think they would have to like they've up the customization in the past couple of games. I think oh, they actually have to go away from that. They have to be like, no, this is who you are. Maybe you have a choice of like two or three, but it's like no, these are defined characters with defined personalities, and they will react in certain ways. Yeah, but I mean, technology's evolving. Uh, people are coming up with brilliant solutions to uh, take like you you can feed as long as the skeleton for animating the uh, talking movements is the same or preset you can do a lot with whatever someone customizes like you uh, can have, you can have a very mm-hmm. customizable protagonist like you know 
the Mass Effect games of Shepard, for example. <laughs> and those came out like, those yeah, came yeah. out a while a, a while ago. Um and you know, you can customize your Shepherd however you want. They talk with the I'm I'm not saying it has to be as set in stone as Shepard. Shepard's a very much defined character before the player gets control of them. But uh you can still have character customization and you know voice acting and your character actually being a person in the world who reacts to stuff um or even if you don't want to go that far just add more dialogue options for what we can say like yeah i think having having your character like it doesn't even have to be like full open world dialogue but if your character could have like two or three things they could say in a situation and then throughout the series like if you react in that way people kind of like react differently to you you know what i mean like you can actually yeah. develop a personality throughout the i i i don't want to bring up fifa again but i am okay <laughs> fifa this is a very simple implementation of this but fifa 17 18 19 they had like a story within it but right. the way you would react to certain situations, like in the locker room, shall we say, okay, or your your coach is mad at you or whatever, right? Sure. But you could you could have like you you could have a there's like three answers, three options, right? One was fiery, one was cool, and one was balanced, right? Um, and depending on which ones you did, more often than not, like that meter would go up. So if you did a, a lot of fiery, like if you're a hothead, right, you say you just say like stuff that makes everyone hate you, right? You get this fiery personality. Um, and people would react to you differently uh, when, like, if you continue to do that, those kind of things, like they start reacting with you, like, oh, who's this like cocky person, right? Like, um, but if you got the full fiery thing, you get a special haircut. So, <laughs> yeah, um, um, but tying, just something simple into, like, like that, right? JRPGs, um, yeah, yeah, you know, I, I, I play a lot of Final Fantasy fourteen, and you know, it's an MMO. Your main character can't be spouting uh shakespeare every single second <laughs> so it's limited to a couple of dialogue options like three four maybe even five um and it only changes a couple of lines that the next character says but even that that yeah. just adds so much I agree. to uh, even add so much just making the character your own mm. um because it, it's so easy, so much easier to self-insert in a character that expresses themselves at some point. Because if the main villain is cackling about his plans to gentrify the wild area and build factories there, um, I want to have a character who says, who like... Cuts him off. <laughs> yeah, cuts him off or tells him how that isn't a good thing or how he's you know as as cliche yeah, your as character it is, never rebutes the bad guys yeah, be or honest. as cliche your character... as it is you know just says like i'll never let you get away with this like <laughs> it's so it's so little but it adds so much to like engaging you with a plot because if you want to if pokemon wants to have more complex plots which I'm not sure whether or not they do. Like they toyed with it with Sun and Shield, Sun and Moon, sorry, and in Sword and Shield, I'm not sure what happened with the plot there. Um, Sword and Shield had better plot in its post game, and I'd even argue that its post game is definitely like its plot is equivalent to that of, um the reason I consider it's good is because it's straightforward. And when you compare it with the rest of the game, (laughs) right. And making the character more dynamic helps, helps make people less frustrated with your story because, Mm. you know, people aren't staring at a screen, screaming at their, at their character, just (laughs) do something. (laughs) Uh, like, if the villain like reaction. descends from his helicopter and steals the sword of endings from the sunken temple uh to go and forward his plan and and cackles as he flies away uh if your character just stands there stock still with a smile on their face <laughs> that is so frustrating <laughs> Agreed. I completely agreed. Okay, I, I think we'll probably actually wrap it up here, uh, Matt. Uh, yeah. I I think we 
we covered uh this this i'm gonna be honest this is way longer than we thought uh because i think what ended up happening is from our beginning topics uh there's so many other topics like we could probably continue on for a little bit and expand but i i really enjoyed this uh so yeah i hope you enjoyed our kind of uh, uh what would you call this is this a filler episode a, i wouldn't say yeah, it's a fill, filler, filler episode of vague ramblings filler episode it was a podcast right to give you a podcast as we wait for the full trio to be back to to, to kind of complete our pokemon uh black and white um kind of discussion but i think they're these kind of discussions as to possibilities things you can do with the game what made the game successful what do we think about some of those elements of the game um i think there's definitely a room that if if we want to do a show like this uh, at some point to kind of break things up in the future. Uh, I, I very much would gladly do it. Um, and you know, things will probably change as we go back over games and remind ourselves about different elements and what we liked and didn't like. Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, anyway, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, thank you so much for being with me here, Matt today. And I hope all of you have a great time. Once again, we'll be back within the next 30 days. I won't tell you, uh, If it'll be sooner or later, but 30 days is the promise I make. All right. Anyway, with that, bye-bye. See you guys.